If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. In, Randy. <laughs> Don't, Randy. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, oh, my goodness. Hi, Patrice. Hi, Marlea. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Courtney. Hi. I'm not eating Duros. <laughs> oh, it's okay. You can keep on chomping your Duros. Duros, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh, Lord. We've had so much pre talk because we're enjoying our pre-show treat because it was Yay! oh my god it would have been too hard to eat during the actual show yes courtney went all out mm-hmm. all out all out this weekend all out for this weekend summer fun <sighs> yes it is the fourth of july weekend again not sure how much i'm celebrating america right now mm-hmm. however i do respect the holiday and i do love red white and blue themed things <laughs> <laughs> treats and such during 4th of <laughs> July and um, I made I, I don't know why I decided I was like what if I made snow cones with alcohol at home <laughs> y'all like seriously new business venture the strange south snow cones nom travel around in our little uh, scooby-doo van oh my god oh, what music would we play out the back oh, all of it people to come <laughs> let me think about it <laughs> <laughs> what would we play for these so they were um I, I made some simple syrup they're supposed to kind of look red white and blue but i've talked about this before i'm against blue flavored three <laughs> blue colored three it's just not natural it's because not natural. the closest thing you can get is blueberries pretty much and they're purple when you cook them so mm-hmm. i made a blueberry simple syrup and a strawberry lemonade simple syrup oh, so delicious and then uh Oh, a, a cream, you know, mm-hmm. like from the shaved ice places, strawberries and cream or whatever. So I did a cream. And so we had blueberry, strawberry, lemonade and cream. The cream, y'all, is Snow legit. Cones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really so tasty. So we were crunching ice. So now we're on our second drink made out of the same syrups, but with just more vodka. <laughs> 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 on the top of oh, yes. Because the syrups were spiked, but I do have some that are not spiked that I'll share with the kids for 4th of July. Yay! Anyone who doesn't want alcohol in theirs, you can make the same recipe and enjoy. But it's more orange, purple, and white than red, white, and blue. (laughs) Still pretty. It was pretty, yeah. (laughs) And then we put strawberries and blueberries on top because now's the season for those. I know, and those strawberries Mm. were really good. Absolutely. So, yes. Happy summer. Cheers! Happy summer, everyone. Happy camaraderie Mm -hmm. and hanging out with your friends. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Sadness? Why do we sound sad? Are I don't we, know. Do we, we just not know what story? to say? Sorry. I'm not doing one, but Patrice no. goes first. No, I, no, I'm totally not doing a sad story. I um, we can pitch. Uh, we're gonna be oh, doing yeah. an upcoming um, co. Wait, what did we say? Crossover episode. Crossover episode. I was yes! like, co show with uh, crossover with our friend Jeff and maybe his co-host Patrick uh, right. from uh, Parental Advisory Movie Podcast. Yeah. Because it's in in July, the where the crawdads sing come out July thirteenth, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, where the, so that movie will come out, and um, we'll talk to him about that movie on an episode of his, which means I like just rush ordered the book because I'm the only right. one who hasn't either listened to it or read it. So <laughs> loved um, it, yeah, <clears throat> such a good book, and just all the 
the southern feels just mm-hmm. in that book. Yeah. Did a great job. Mm-hmm. We'll see how the movie turns. We'll I know, I'm sure. I I want to do nope. I can't. I like I'm, I didn't want to do nope too because yeah. I'm curious. I haven't really read any kind of theories on it yet. Have you read theories? I don't want to. I don't yeah, want to find anything either. out in advance. So but I've been avoiding. I watched a very long trailer though that told a lot and actually told nothing at all. <laughs> he's so good at that. I love him. He's such a, he's so good at that. But what I'm doing my story on today, I was like, huh, this possibly could be the thing. Okay. Or maybe not. We don't know. Uh, I wanted to go just a little bit. I tried to find something. This is not my original story. Mm-hmm. I tried to find something absurd, like even more absurd than <laughs> what's going on right now. It's like I cannot do anything. Hard to beat the news. It's hard to beat the news right now. And it's so hard to do something that even remotely touches anything Southern right now without just having just a meltdown Mm -hmm. so i was like i need to go something absurd something that we can talk about and maybe this ties in with the movie a little bit maybe it doesn't because you know all like the really crazy coast to coast Mm -hmm. stuff is just all intertwined together all kinds of conspiracies all kinds of conspiracies so i'm going with the absurdities to try to lighten my mood Good, good. And maybe, you know, hopefully distract, not distract because we don't want to distract, but maybe just alleviate for a brief moment before we go back and fight. (laughs) Marleya and I were coming back from Atlanta a few years ago. And I think this is when we did the cross stitch. Oh, yeah, yeah. In Atlanta. And I introduced her to Coast to Coast AM which was a show that my husband introduced me to because on the weekends he would take, when we lived in Mississippi, he would take off to Memphis to play some gigs and then he would turn around and come back at like two or three in the morning. And so that road, I think it's Highway 72 or maybe Interstate 22 now, I can't remember. They changed it to an interstate, whatever it is. It's between Tupelo and Mississippi. Or not Mississippi and Memphis, (laughs) Tupelo and Memphis, and he would listen to this, and he was like, "Man, this show talks about all this crazy shit." And if you never listened to Coast to Coast AM, it is really kind of the radio show of the National Enquirer. (laughs) Is what I like to. It's like all the crazy shit that you see on the National Enquirer is like what they talk about. And they talk about with experts, quote unquote. Right. And it's just it's entertaining. To me, it's entertaining. But I mean, obviously these people are are taking it seriously. Because <laughs> they have like call in people and who are just call yeah. in. Yeah, they call in. They're like, Hey, has this ever happened to you? You know, and you're driving lonely Mississippi Highway at three <laughs> o'clock in the morning. They start talking about vampires and, <laughs> and flying demons and all of this stuff it really freaked him out. <laughs> but then he would listen to it again but he would tell me about it and of course it, you know it came on it's a.m it came came on like after midnight so it'd be perfect time for him to listen to it but it was kind of before the internet mm-hmm. and so i never got a chance totally 
to listen to it until recently when they have like a website and you can listen to it where you're not up at like 2 or 3 Mm a.m. One of the stories that Marley and I were listening to while we were driving back from Atlanta was this sighting of a pterodactyl. Oh, my God. I remember this so well. I remember you talking about this. Yeah. And it was somebody (laughs) on the East Coast talking about, yes, I saw this when I was young. And it may have been the guy from New Jersey talking about when he was 12. That he saw this pterodactyl shape and he knew what a pterodactyl was because all 12 year olds know yes. they're dinosaurs. Yes. <laughs> they know all them fucking G- genus names and comics. Yeah. Right. Things that I'm like, who, what? Are you speaking English? No. They were, he was talking about that. And so Marley and I were like, okay, okay, yeah, okay. That's, could be legit maybe you know, <laughs> all right we're following you following and then all of a sudden this person like totally left turns somewhere and we are talking about dimensions yeah. and Ooh. mathematical equations and stuff that i'm multiverse like, <laughs> if, if it was a multiverse i think i would have been like able to comprehend a little bit better with this person but i mean it went so far yeah off brood that i just are we like listening to the same like i know we're both like was there a blip right like, yeah. did we switch channels to a new, yeah. i know yeah it was just we're like oh okay. oh there's yeah. the crazy there's the crazy. <laughs> bless them pterodactyl we can follow but after i know that, right it's, it's like, crazy i don't know math and we're i know out. right <laughs> i can't with the math it's true it's true so after you know we're like okay yeah this this guy obviously doesn't know what he's talking about (laughs) 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 i'm still interested though in the sightings of the pterodactyls i want to know like i was all aboard the first 10 minutes Uh and then like the last 45 to an hour i'm just like no man and he did he went on oh, really and it they was, just let him go on oh, they were oh, jumping that's... on board like oh yeah. yeah we know what you're talking about and yeah they they yeah obviously it wove into a whole bunch of other kind of like deep state shit or whatever it was totally, that like yeah. you just don't that we yeah yeah we're not privy to we are not privy to and and thank god <laughs> i'm like again curious about the pterodactyls i'm like pterodactyl sightings is that his thing it's like i can't do i can't do the math y'all uh, <laughs> I'm like on, on the border of the you know other the multiverse dimensional stuff i'm like okay i'll, I'll read about that I'm, I'm okay with that but you know let's go back to the pterodactyls and the thing about the pterodactyls and the sightings there's been numerous sightings even recent sightings uh, of pterodactyls the description of them they're like, well, they sound kind of like these Thunderbirds that were talked about by Native Americans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Thunderbirds come along. These sightings of these giant things have been around forever. But specifically in South Carolina, the Santee tribe of Native Americans talked about these thunder-like creatures, Thunderbird-like creatures that when they describe them do sound a lot like pterodactyls or pterodons or or again not dinosaur person yeah but you know giant lizards with wings kind of thing so the santee people in south carolina were actually a pretty small tribe population around three thousand. a long time ago we're talking like ad 1600s and so 
they centered around the Santee, South Carolina area, Santee River, which when it when they dammed it up became Lake Marion. And a lot of this I found from like the cryptidsfandom.com page. There's also live pterosaurs, the phantomsandmonsters.com page and a bunch of others. There's there's some there's several but not as much as you would think about. Like I did Reddit trying to find some information. Yeah. And was not that helpful at mm. all. And then a lot of the information I found kind of it's kind of that thing where it kind of links back to itself as yeah. its own source. Yeah. I'm like, how does that work? So this is what we're dealing with, folks. Okay. Things that are citing itself as its own original source. Um so, but you know, the Santee people were real and Native Americans have talked about the Thunderbird, mm-hmm. Thunder Spirit, Native Americans, especially in South Carolina. And there is a book that's actually got converted to a PDF talking about the great, a few great stories of the Santee people. And I'll put that a link to that. You can download actually the whole book and read about it. It's very interesting. But the Santee called their giant flying bird or dinosaur or whatever they called it the wakinyan or thunderbirds basically or thunder spirits is what that word translates to so the wakinya are these thunderbirds they're supposed to be like very mysterious yet powerful uh birds they believed that there were four different manifestations of these thunderbirds and each of these were carriers of this wakinya's wakinyan Hour. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. I'm sure I am. <laughs> so the first form was black with a very long beak with mm-hmm. four joints in each pinion. So maybe wing? Is that what that's? That? I think the pinion's meaning the wings. Sounds legit. Pteranodon. Right. Okay. Another manifestation is a yellow beakless one that has four joints in each pinion and only six quills. The third Hmm. is one of a scarlet color, and it's remarkable because the length of its wings are very large, that it contained eight joints. And the fourth is kind of the weirdest of them all. The fourth is a blue globular Uh, thing that has no face, eyes, nor ears, but uh, immediately above like where the face should be appears a semicircle. That resembles like a half inverted moon or a inverted half moon. And below that projects two chains of lightning, which diverge from each other as they descend. Whoa. There's also two plumes like soft down coming out just above the chains of lightning serving as wings. So this is very much folklore yeah. from Native Americans. Pinion broadly means wing. Okay. Right. right. Just wanted to look it up to see. <laughs> no, no, I should have done that. I'm just like, oh, I know what that means. I ain't going to look it up. I mean, that's what we thought it was. Right. I was just trying to picture if it was the, the included, inclusive of the wing broadly. Pinion. So the Thunderbird in this lure with these four different varieties, they all come from this one huge egg, which lays in a nest made of bones. Ooh. If you they're describing them like the four are together in a oneness, sort of like the Trinity. Oh, my 
Yeah. And also sort of like, you know, Vecner and the Demi Gorgons and the Vines. No, and the Demi no, dogs. listen, <laughs> that's a hive mind. <laughs> well, is, is, is the Trinity not a hive mind? Hmm. Would it not be a hive mind? Shit. Would it not know what don't the do other this. one's doing? You're fucking with my brain. Okay. It does. Anyway. It does. It does. I don't know it if does. it watches Stranger Things. <laughs> but you would know the hive mind concept yes. already. Of course. You know yeah. it like already and it was also already yes. in Stranger Things. Yes. So that's not a that's not a hey. By the time this comes out, everybody will have watched it who's gonna watch it. Right. Unless you like Most. live in a hole. And you haven't watched it, which shame. I know. So Damn it, I'm ashamed. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> by the time by this the comes time. out. Which you know it could be like two right years, now. What is it? <laughs> right, right now we're like two days from from like the day that I woke my kids up at nine thirty in the morning so that we could spend all day watching the last two episodes. So mm-hmm. is that it? They just they released everything but the last two, and then you had to wait for them. Yeah, but the last two were like an hour and a half mm-hmm. and two and a two half hours. hours. Okay. Like they were very long. Yeah, the, they the, were... the last episode is a movie. Concluding. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Yeah, we'll talk about that maybe in the after. Maybe in the after. Uh-huh. Maybe, maybe, maybe. No, no, we can't. Oh. She hasn't watched it yet. Well, I'm just gonna say, like, I'll leave. I'm, I'm, not say, I'm, not gonna say, I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna say anything. Don't okay. say anything. So, anyway, so they live in an egg together, like the, the Trinity, Trinity hive mind. In Trinity hive mind. Okay. Trinity hive. So the nest of thunderbirds is said to be found in this huge cedar tree, which grows on top of a high mountain. And this is more Western mm-hmm. sort of folklore too. Even though we're talking about the Eastern Santee tribe. But in Western folklore, who also has Thunderbirds, um, so they say that, you know, this egg is atop of a high mountain in the Western edge of the world. And they have guardians of the four directions, winds, whatever. And this is the guardian of the West, right? Mm. Which is, again, looking up Thunderbirds in the West, it totally means a little bit something like they're they're talking about legit birds with feathers condors, condors is what i've heard like because is, yes, they're massive they're massive yeah and that's a lot of what you know i i when i was researching it slightly um <laughs> over in the west they were showing you know actual birds and not dinosaurs mm-hmm. flying dinosaurs where over here it's been more and even in the midwest it's been a little bit more of the dinosaur flavor, mm. which is interesting. <laughs> dinosaur flavor. What flavor is that? Mm. <laughs> disappointment Taste. is what that is. <laughs> dinosaur flavor is disappointment. <sighs> so the lightning, the whole thunderbird, you know, it all revolves around like what is lightning and thunder. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how the uh, Native Americans were describing it. So lightning is believed to be the result of the thunderbird's glance. Mm. and the noise of the thunder is the motion of a thunderbird's wings, and the storms are considered to be brought on by the power of the Wakinian from the Santi people, mm. and whatever else other native tribes used to describe, you know, thunderbirds and stuff. Interesting about this um, cider tree, cedar, tree? cedar. Thank you, not cider. <laughs> mm, yummy mm. tree, <laughs> the <laughs> American cider tree. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You just tap that sucker. Mm-hmm. It's hot and yummy. Mm. Okay. So the cedar tree uh, is that the enemies of the Thunderbird have been known to like burn cedar to protect themselves from thunder and lightning. So because the Wakinia respects and will not harm the tree where their nest is. Mm. So just a thing. Mm. So maybe they, they would burn um, cedar and 
when lightning and thunder occurred to protect themselves from being struck hmm. or maybe to make themselves feel better. I love, I love. Also just smells good. It smells fantastic, <laughs> right? So the Wakinia is the most powerful and fearful of the gods, according to the Santis, and was designated as the chief war god for the Santi um, leader, hmm. tribe leader, leader, war leader, whatever. I'm sorry. I, I I do not know hierarchy of things, but it's like that's their guy. That's what they pick. It's supposed to be powerful. The big boss man. Big boss man. The Thunderbirds are just these large land before time pterodactyl uh, things like birds have been reported um, all around the world. Um, and the first recorded, I, I want to say, I'm not 100% sure on this. The first recorded Western occurrence happened. Um, according to phantomsandmonster.com, and it's pretty famous, it's a 1944 World War II um, time era where two American soldiers were stationed in New Guinea uh, and on like the mainland there, and they hiked up to this local village to the west, and in this jungle clearing about 100 feet um, in diameter, they both witness something huge take off from the air. So mm-hmm. this is something that was reported around this time by these two. So Dwayne Hodgkinson, who was a weather observer for the artillery, described the encounter. And there is an interview of um, Mr. Hodgkinson on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And he said that this creature ran through the grass with long legs, clearly not to be confused with a long tail. And Hodgkinson would see that the legs during like the running takeoff were about two to four feet long. And he estimated the tail to be at least 10 to 15 feet long. Well, dang. Um, and he was certain that he had not confused the legs for the tail. So they were two separate. And that seems <clears throat> to be like something when people are talking about um, pterodactyls or pterodons um, or flying dinosaurs that they've seen recently they distinguish between the legs and the tail mm. and i guess because birds sometimes will fly with their legs tucked under tucked and maybe like one unit with the tail or something i don't I don't know why they make that distinction but i don't know but in jurassic park their pteranodons don't have tail. i'm just gonna say <clears throat> just throw that out there i'm just gonna tell you that the california condor which is a common in north america west coast mm-hmm. wingspan it is up to nine feet yeah, mm-hmm. they're huge, huge. I would think that was terrible. Oh, yeah. I would too. I would nine be like, oh man, thunder spirit. Nine feet. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're vultures. Huge. Yeah, they're vultures. They're ugly oh, as fuck, and it has an ugly yellow face. Yeah, they're so nasty. That yellow one with the. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that could very well be it. That makes sense. It's got it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know, legs and tail not confused. <clears throat> you know, short-ish legs, long, long tail. And Hodgson said that he was constantly, he was looking at the head, especially because it had like this long appendage that was like a horn that held parallel to the neck and that was made it look like a uh, pterodactyl. So I guess like when, if you look at pterodactyl, like how they have like the cone at the back and how it parallels like their neck when they fly. So the wingspan appeared to him to be the same as like a private airplane. Shit. Um, He owned like a Piper Tri-Pacer. So that's like, he was an expert in, I Mm. guess. Wingspan. Wingspans, (laughs) right? 
but he said that he would consider their wingspans or that thing that he saw the wingspan to be like roughly around 29 feet um to be you know similar to the craft that he was flying uh, when he saw it there in new guinea in 1944 so that interview like i said is on youtube i'll put there's the link on the show page. But let's talk a little bit about some of the sightings from South Carolina. And again, South Carolina, I read one from s- several from South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida, Kansas recently. Mm. Like just kind of all over. It's kind of weird. So these modern day sightings about this large mythical bird or dinosaur or whatever. Um, one of them that's become very popular is the 1989 Susan Wooten sighting. And this was between Greenville and Florence in South Carolina. And Miss Wooten was saying that she was traveling Highway 20 in, to Florence and was in this kind of wooded, swampy area, a broad daylight, like at 3 p.m. And she saw something that had like this wingspan of 12 to 15 feet, no feathers, leathery wings, Whoa. like this head appendage behind its head. And this really long tail, again, that was distinguishable from its feet. Huh. 2004 in Roanoke, Virginia, or actually this couple that was driving from Roanoke, Virginia to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. It's funny. She was describing this encounter and she was talking about how she gets nervous on the highway or mm-hmm. interstate. So she made her boyfriend travel the back roads. I'm I'm kind of that person too. Like <laughs> when something when I'm not comfortable with like how people are, especially like I don't know y'all. Kind of sidetrack here. <laughs> <laughs> Highway 40 in Memphis between Memphis and Nashville or Memphis and Little Rock is like the most fucked up highway I have ever ridden on. Mm. Every single time on Highway 40, and if you have a story about Highway 40, you let me know because every single fucking time. I've been on Highway 40. I have always seen like near death. You told us about this. Like, experiences. Yes. Like fucked up, like people like pulling over on 18 wheelers, wheels going flying. Like every single time there's something fucked up so, happening on the Highway 40. Bad luck. Bad luck. So I'm that person. I'd be like, let's take the back roads. And we do. When we go to Memphis, we usually take the back roads. So she was talking about how she's not a good passenger and she wigs out on the interstate. So she told her boyfriend to take the back road. And it was pretty late at night. And they were going through some little podunk town. And there was pine trees everywhere. And she just looked over at her boyfriend. And through his side of the window, she oh my. said it That's looked scary. Yeah. like someone's <laughs> laundry had come off the line and was getting blown around. Like this big bed sheet was like hitting this gust of wind, except they were in the woods and there were too many trees around for there to be laundry blowing around. And she's like, she's looking dead at this big white thing and her brain couldn't wrap around what it was. But it was coming straight at the car. Oh, my God. And she was like, the closest thing I could think of was pterodactyl. Mm-hmm. So she's like panicking. And she's like, I am positive. This is such me. She's like, <laughs> I'm positive we are going to die. <laughs> so she's screaming, go, go, go. And she's like, my eyes are closed and they're squeezed shut because mm-hmm. there is no fucking way that mm-hmm. I am going to watch us die. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, they get away. And when they looked at their car afterwards, there was like this 
big snotty smear Ew. on the driver's side window. What? Uh, and she's like, you know, we weren't drinking. We weren't high. We weren't recently like released from psychic facility. <laughs> she's like, you know, we were just traveling along and this weird stuff happened to us. <clears throat> and, um, you know, she did her research and the closest thing that she could find is the account of this or this legend of Thunderbirds. Uh, however, the color of the thing did not match mm -hmm. what, you know, other witnesses have said mm -hmm. about the Thunderbirds. Uh, so I was that reading was a that. creepy story. <laughs> it, it was a creepy it story. It was creepy. And, and it's because we've all been there. We've all been that dark road in the middle of the night. You don't really know. Maybe you do know where you are, but you don't travel it a lot. But you're just like, I am just like one flat tire away from dying <laughs> out here. I was reading about because the substance that was left in the car really caught my attention. Yeah. So it's not. It's not. And I'm like, you know, this flying thing also kind of rings about the Mothman stuff, too. That's oh. up in Virginia. So it's very close. Oh, interesting. So I was I was looking at some other tales about maybe, you know, the Mothman, some encounters similar. And there is this one where this guy was driving his vehicle and, um, you know, he had this encounter with the Mothman. And on top of his car, you know, it left this strange substance. Ew. And so he took that substance and he sent it off to be tested. And the lab showed that it was negative for humans. It was negative for moths. <laughs> okay. Good. Not the moth man. Positive for pterodactyl. <laughs> <laughs> but it was positive for brown bats. Oh. And Ooh, Batman. There, there was Ooh. also like <laughs> this odd scratch marks and indentations on top of the car and like weird magnetic and EFM readings. Like he did all the tests. He did like, he did like pseudoscience tests <laughs> and he did like science science tests. Right. <laughs> and so um, just came back with just like some weird readings. Uh, and we'll, we'll kind of circle back to the bat thing in a second. In November 14th, of 2012 a professor Stephen Waters saw this huge okay I'm gonna pronounce this word wrong y'all Aramophora rhinchinus nah. which basically means long tail long tail pterosaurus what okay and so he saw this big huge fucking flying dinosaur <laughs> is what that basically means and he said it it was gliding past his house again, broad daylight at 11:45 a.m. at Crest, you know, when he was living there in Crestview, Florida, and he estimated the wingspan to be eight to twelve feet, and he said that it had a long torso with like a large light bulb at the end of its tail, like very diamond-shaped, no feathers. Okay. What is he a professor of, may I ask? Do we know? We do not know. That, oh. That's a good question. We should look that up. I'm just wondering. Oh, no. That's a good... That's the Botany. fact that he used this uh, specific word for what he saw, not like... Right. Look like a he, he, he dinosaur. He used a very academic... Academic term for term the... Term for the, the Paleontology. Yeah. Yes. That's what I want to know. On ass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was going to do another story about Florida that I held off on that... We, we can question some things about some of their 
doctors and oh <laughs> shit okay. and, and experiments done down in florida oh, that's for another podcast right okay so on march 23rd uh 2013 a man was driving on interstate 540 in the north side of raleigh north carolina about sunset and he saw something that flew right in front of his car with a wingspan about five to six feet so not very big it had a long tail that had a spade and a crest on its head and something like claws in mid-wing and a complete lack of feathers. And, of course, it, like, gave him a shock. There is another... Five to six feet, though, may I say. I'm between five to six feet, and I would say that's a large bird. Yeah, man. <laughs> like I'm it, sitting it here looking down at no my shit. legs. I know, it's like I'm like, he's like stretching her feet out. Like, that was this long. Wingspan yeah, was this big. scared the shit out of you. I would. That's basically it would be wider yeah. than your car windshield. Yeah. Or as wide. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you've ever had an owl fly at your mm-hmm. car at night, mm-hmm. then, well, and they're not as big. <laughs> and I, I mean, that happened to me on my way to my boyfriend's house one time when I was um, was in you Virginia. You? They no, told the story. Well, Cor- uh, Patrice had a story. Okay, I thought so. But like if they get close to your I mean, they it's shocking. It is. It's shocking. And their their wingspan they're is big. remarkably large and they can damage your Oh, God, yeah. You know? And they're not as big as this Tyrannodonny Rickadinny. <laughs> Tyrannodonny Rickadinny. That's the technical species <laughs> genus species. You heard it here first. <laughs> so, same year, Pickens, South Carolina, on the back roads called Shady Grove, there was a sighting of, of something with leather-like wings that was almost as big across as the windshield. The guy said he didn't really get a really good look at it because it was dark but it had almost orangish reddish eyes Mm. and it swooped before them and smashed the windshield of the car and he said like the whole time he was pumping his brakes and was afraid he was going to smash it into the car and he told this is a younger guy and he told his parents and he tried to convince them that or they tried to convince him that it was a bat, but he told them, no, it was way too big to be a bat. And then a little bit later on, actually a year later, his dad told him that he saw the same thing or saw something similar flying towards him in his windshield in the car on the exact same road in the exact same spot. Oh, like it's got Maybe a nest there. Actually, ah, right before they turn back right. to human form. Yeah, like they're like <laughs> human faces. and. Yes, bat, bat, bat. <laughs> they just scream bat and turn into a bat. That's how it works. We know from what we do in the shadows. And, and then, it's and coming then, back this month. I know. I'm excited about that. Sorry, Sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I'm really excited about it too. So so great. Love it. <laughs> That's so funny. So his brother also. So it's like a whole fa- the whole family. So everybody sees everybody it. Everybody sees it. Like sees something. His brother saw it in the backyard when he was taking out scraps. They were like, okay, now we believe you that there's something weird flying around. But there's nothing much more of a description other than leather-like wings and the orange-reddish eyes, which also has been attributed to Mothman. Yeah, yeah, that did sound like it. Flying foxes have red eyes. Do they have flying foxes there? Well, let's talk about this. Okay. This person... Who was I? Honestly, y'all, I didn't even read who this person is. But this person from the Riley's News Observer, who was doing an article on that, interviewed somebody, and they're like, "I can't believe that if there were living pterosaurs in North America, three centuries of naturalists, explorers, farmers, hunters, trappers, and biologists, and just people fucking riding around back roads, 
would never have come run across like a single specimen living or dead. Mm-hmm. Basically, he ranks this as being slightly more probable than living unicorns in Raleigh or Durham, but only slightly. Mm-hmm. Definitely skeptical. Definitely, you know, again, you can see something maybe at different angles and it looks different or if it's out of place, you know, you kind of question what you look or what it is or mm-hmm. how it reads in your brain. However, there's a video on YouTube. Oh, shit. That I want y'all to look at. And we're going to take a quick little pause. And I want y'all <gasps> to look at it. Okay. Ah, exciting. And, t- and tell, <laughs> tell me. What y'all think this is? Okay. We're recording, right? Did yes. we ever press record? Yes, I did. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hold on. Let me go over there. Okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking about what you said. I know I'm listening to what you said about the birds, but mm-hmm. like taking out the scrap, that's something I've not said out loud in a long time, but it's so Southern. That is such taking a... Taking out the scraps. Scraps is a Southern thing. Mm-hmm. But maybe I do say it. I, I, I say compost now because I'm all classy, well, but yeah, like but taking like out the scraps. scraps. to feed like your dogs outside or... Yard dogs got yard scraps. dogs. Yep. Okay. Marley is saying that's not real. That's not a kite. Well, it it doesn't look... Keep... Go, go back. Because what what do you mean it can't do that and keep going straight? It didn't look okay. Here, this is a close up. Why? It went down. You're a physicist now. <laughs> <laughs> it went down and then it scooped back up. It is very animated looking. It's very like I think that's fake. I, I believe it is too. And other people have said that it's a very good fake. It's a good fake. It looks too mm-hmm. like, but it's it's pretty animatronic. It's so too stiff. Yeah, it's yeah. too stiff. We're because watching that's a not video how bats of someone fly. just filming the sky with this very large. It has skinny wings and a, it's a large, very large face. head. Large skinny head that's almost like a With cone crest behind. And then when they show it close up, you can see clearly the see the joints in it. It's almost like it's got two joints on the wings and they kind of fold up here like like an elbow and then like you bend your hand it or something. It be some sort of drone you think? thing. Yes. It was there it looked it it was, it was not, definitely flying. Something but it was wasn't, flying. It Something wasn't was flying, flying on the power of the wings. I no, swear to God, it if it would tip forward like it did in that, it wouldn't have kept its same course if it was flying on the power of the wings. It's like right. its head it went down. It would have moved. Right. And it's instead and then it of. Went back up. But it didn't ever bend its head. The no. whole thing like went like one big plank uh-huh. down forward. I was like, that's not how critters do. That's what you meant. The yeah. way the whole body kind yeah, of Yeah. Turned. And that's like the whole body did. And like wings. It would impact the course. Right. And and it wasn't running on the power of the air it, under the it wings. It had to have been running on some other motion. power. No, yeah. it was not natural motion. Yeah. Even the wing movement wasn't natural but motion. But to be like a fake for somebody to go through that amount of effort. To yeah. Have, that was like pretty Because it was definitely like it's, it's not far CGI away. It wasn't anything. like, yeah, it wasn't yeah. like right there. It was, they were right. definitely taking a video of something flying in the air. Right. Yeah. Yes. And even like, um, even though the wings that you could tell was not propelling it, again, kudos to the person who did it because mm-hmm. it was very much. Where was it supposedly taken? Uh, Idaho. Idaho. Yeah. Why would they go to Idaho? There's, no, there's <laughs> nowhere to hide in there's Idaho. No. So we're thinking like maybe possibly some of these sightings were pelicans, maybe bats. Maybe animatronics. Mm-hmm. So speaking of bats, I looked up the largest bat oh, that yeah. there are. And there's 
there's the flying fox that you I mentioned. I love the flying, flying fox. Um, they're, they're so like fucking cute. Puppy dogs. They are. With large wings. So mm-hmm. the largest bat, it, and it's not unheard of because we have species that are let loose in the wild in America here all the time, like the anaconda in Florida and the anaconda. What is it? The python. Huh. The Yeah, the yeah. Python. python. Yeah. yeah. And um, in Florida that taken over. So we, we have things that are, are not indigenous to the area all the time being released. So it's not unheard of like somebody had a flying fox and let them go in the area. But the flying foxes are the largest bats and they can have wingspans that are about five feet. Huh? That's, that's what big. I was trying to find a picture here of someone standing next to one for reference. Yeah, because well, it's, it's basically, hard to... it's basically their body and feet is like this, the height of an average person. Mm-hmm. And so the head and the body are about, well, they say 16 inches here, but some that I saw were a lot longer than 16 inches. The gray headed flying fox. Well, that's just another type. Anyway. So there's several types. Flying foxes are like old world fruit bats. They roost in large numbers and they eat fruit only. They're not coming for you or <laughs> your babies or anything like that. But they're fucking huge. Mm-hmm. You know, hanging upside down, an average person, they're going to take up like the full size, especially with their wings being all pointing and stuff. And they're terrifying. And there's a picture of when I was uh, looking up the flying foxes because it's basically like little wiener dogs mm-hmm. with wings mm-hmm. but they do kind of look like wiener dogs in the face you know they had like flying bat and their junk right there oh my god yeah that's right it's like their big junk <laughs> right there <laughs> human face level so it was they're just, creepy when you look up under them when they're flying they, yeah. do, they yeah. do look like they've been like and if you see like, together like a weird head on a guinea they look like a yeah. vampire bat mm-hmm. like a yeah that would scare the shit out of like me. Like a dog head on a, a mummy yeah. body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're creepy looking. Yeah. This view. Yes, because oh, you can oh, yeah. see the light behind their wings. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, because it really is, it's flaps of skin. Right. That they fly on. So, I mean, you know, you put a flashlight under your fingers and you can see the light coming through. It's the same. And they, but they're so cute in the face. They are cute in the face, but I, I would. Yeah, I would, I would freak be scared out. to death. Yeah, I wouldn't want to see thing. one in the wild. No, 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 like, no, 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 no. Especially because they they do have like they're just not solitary creatures. They do have like God, can't imagine seeing like multiple <laughs> ones flying. Oh Jesus <laughs> Christ! Be like into the water. No, we're gonna die. Become <laughs> but looking up uh, pterodactyls online, I came across this via Coast to Coast AM. And this is mysterywire.com. And there is a legend. And this is more out in the West because even though there are sightings like along the East Coast here, out West, especially where like the Thunderbird legends are very prevalent, there's, there's so many legends about large birds and then possibly large dinosaurs. But there is a legend that somewhere around 1738, Native Americans from the Ute tribe attacked a caravan of Spaniards carrying silver ingots to Mexico City. So these the silver was loaded on mules and they weren't really interested in the warriors or anything like that. They were angry at the Spaniards 
because they had trespassed on the sacred ground, uh, hunting ground there. So two Spaniards who were not killed during the attack hid out in rocks and survived to tell about, you know, what they saw. So the Ute warriors led these two mules uh, to the cave and they killed them. And before they killed them, they cut off their hooves. And it's because the tribes believed that if the hooves were severed, the spirit was doomed to roam the earth forever. I don't know. Anyway, so the warriors left and then the Spaniards entered the cave afterwards to see what was going on. And so they would have, they just really wanted to know what the hell was going on because they weren't killing them. They were killing their mules. They went into this cave and they said that in their record in the area, oh, let me get this right. The warriors left. The Spaniards entered the cave to see what happened before making their way to Mexico City, where apparently they made this report, which is how we know about it. They noted on their record that the area of the attack and the presence of like bird images. And 200 years later, Native American treasure hunters went back to search for this abandoned silver that they knew about from the Spaniards making this report. So after digging deep into the sand, they collected, they had collected there over the years. They eventually found like animal hooves along with remnants of leather that they believed were packs from, you know, what the animals wore, what the mules wore. But there was no silver, obviously. But they found something else in the cave. So in the cave, there was this enormous shaft from birds' feathers that were broken and scattered throughout the sand. And these shafts were determined to be at least twice as thick as the shafts of eagle feathers. So these were like really large, thick feather shafts. Straws, (laughs) right. So they were wondering, so could the mules, since they weren't interested in the warriors, could the mules possibly be like sacrifices to the Thunderbirds there that were around the cave, painted around the caves? And there is legends that, you know, these large birds would come and steal tribal children and would eat them and that they had to keep these birds well fed. And they were seen as like that's their only defense and I, I feel that to the core because I know that my kittens, if I did not feed them at least twice a day, they would start eating me. So they are appeasing. I want to go see them. I thought about them a minute ago. Oh, you need to. Yeah, mm-hmm. we will. And so, you know, they were appeasing their Thunderbird and feeding them mules and so that they wouldn't take their children away. Damn. Well, it'd have to be big if it's eating mules. Right. Well, I was going to say, I mean, yeah, birds of prey pick up cats, kittens and lambs. Dogs and you're right. A, mm-hmm. I mean, a baby's not that far fetched for a giant far- bird. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yes. That's a carnivore. Mm-hmm. Well, and if it's a vulture like thing, they eat what is dead. dead stuff, carry on. Right. Yeah. Which so thankful for that. Mm-hmm. So there is a famous picture in the West of what's called the tombstone pterodactyl. And. 1890, the tombstone, there's a tombstone epitaph, which is like a newspaper that was published during the time, had like this quote unquote credible article where six gunslingers shot something out of the sky that they described as being a thunderbird. So I'm going to show you this picture and oh, I'll just looking this it up. picture and you tell me, what do you think? Is this the picture of the guys like all lined up around it? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
those guys look pretty sketch. Like Tombstone the movie, like the town? Yeah, the town. <laughs> when was this? 18-something or other? Better right there, 18 Tombstone Underbird. Uh, I don't know, man. That's weird. It, the picture looks kind of legit. Now, there is a picture, and it's called the Civil War Pterodactyl, but it's totally a fake, and you can tell because it it's not very well done. And the people look to be like in Civil War reenactment clothing. But this, I mean, if you look, look at like the building behind them, look at the ground, how turned up it is. Look at their shoes. Look at how things are placed. Look to see like if you can see through like, and I was looking like, can I see through the wings? Does it show the shadow of the people behind them? Kind of does. I can. I feel like they would have created, like, at that time, though, wouldn't they have created, like, a fake, like Farnham did, and then... Well, see, that's another... So, this is another thing. During that time, I do think that they were going through a monetary lull. It has been said that maybe the town created something like this to draw people in to spend money. Mm -hmm. But... Again, it's, it's kind of like, like it's a pretty good. It's a pretty good fake, and especially for that it's time period. It's huge. It's probably. I mean, how many people are holding it? It take. It's taking mm -hmm. one, two, three, six. four, five, six people to expand the wings of this thing, and it mm -hmm. looks very. Uh, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, that's that's the photo that I was like. I mean, like they made a, it's a it's a real picture, and yeah, they made yeah. something. If it's not a real creature, they made a right. But prop. it's a really <laughs> fucking good prop. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that is my story. Pterodactyls mm -hmm. in the South. Interesting. Legend or lie? Real huh. or hoax? Could it be possible? What do you think? Do you think that we could still have things flying around that we have not classified and dissected and and yes yes that's the reason why the pterodactyl story on coast to coast like i believed it until he started like pontificating right? about stuff because yes. i think i th that's part of the reason why i don't discount people's sasquatch stories right. or cryptid stories because they can they verify the idea that we don't know everything right which i think is very true like they're you know if they're they're yeah. still like discovering species of all sorts of things. Absolutely. So, yeah, there's plenty of shit we don't know. Right. We don't know, you know, if it's, you know, the same monster you're seeing here and there and everywhere, or if it's a monster at all, or if it's a pterodactyl, or if it's a new breed of fox or some sort of thing. But, like, there's definitely shit we don't know. It's when people start talking like they do that I lose yeah. interest in what they're saying. <laughs> no, absolutely. And then they start connecting it to outer realms uh, and, you know, black eyed children or something, you know. Whatever the hell. Whatever. Oh, my God. Yeah. They but just, yeah, there's totally shit out there we don't know. That's what's so cool. There's definitely things out there we don't know. Mm -hmm. the, the question is something this large. Like, I don't know. Yeah. For How real. well does it hide? Well, I know where? there are some places that no one goes and mm. accidentally. But we are of the age of the phone. phone. I mean, there's yeah. no way we couldn't. Like that video you just showed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, if somebody saw it, they're for, it, right. everybody's yeah. first instinct now oh, is yeah. to take a picture. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Record it. To record. Yeah. So the fact that. We have no secrets anymore. No. We have, we have no secrets anymore. That the fact that we are. I not, mean, it's good for some things, as we've seen. The use of cell phone footage mm -hmm. for good. Right. But, like, I just think people would, yeah, 
I mean, people one thing would when see you're driving at night big. and something flies up at you, you're right. not going to do that. Yeah, but right. if they're, I don't <laughs> know. Funny, I'm driving my pickup truck. I'm like, Although, you oh, know, chick, chick. but I walked out of my house the other day and I saw oh my the God, snake I know. and I didn't like have my phone available to go grab and, and take a picture of it to show you mm-hmm. and stuff. So, because I had just walked by there. Right. But you would have but normally. I would have normally. But I'm just saying, like, you know. And a lot of those were 2000s. Yeah. The stories? Yeah. Post not like 10. Yeah. 13, 14. I think there's a big bat out there somewhere. I think so, too. I think somebody let Now I want want to go hunt the big bat. I want to go find the big bat. That bat that was roosting somewhere. Yeah. That I just saw that's one of the brown, whatever. The flying foxes. Flying fox. And I think, I think that exotic exports are definitely illegal. Exotic exports are definitely like a huge (laughs) thing around here. (laughs) Ask Florida. So well, it's because when in the if the climate's tropical enough, then there are a lot of like and we have places. That's why I was wondering about from. South Carolina. Yeah. All these South Carolina ones, I'm mm-hmm. like, it gets cold up there. But what's out there? I mean, I would think though, if it's something that's typically in the West, if it were like a well, do they migrate? condor or whatever? That mm-hmm. wouldn't. Do they mm-hmm. fly south for the winter? I mean, mm. how do they know how to fly south for the winter? <laughs> That's Think a about whole it all the other. time when I say the geese. Fly, how do you ain't, know ain't, geese? Ain't, ain't. And I'm like, where are they going? How do they know to go there? <laughs> they just feed it deep in their and, uh, feather stalks. So let us know what you think about the idea of real life pterodactyls being out there. Yes. Tell us. Tell us. Tell, tell us, us what you think. Bat. Take, <laughs> taking a break. We're taking a break. Bat. Bat. Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. Are we back? We are back. back. Are we on? Are we pressed? Is the button pressed? The Britain's Britain's prize. All right. So it's interesting that you were talking about the potential. Well, the potential. Let me hold off on that segue. Okay. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything. So this (gasps) recently. I don't know when this is going to come out. So recently. Randy and Courtney and I, I got him for his Father's Day gift a, <laughs> I can still hear you, <laughs> crunch, crunch, Duro's far, far from the microphone. So recently, for Father's Day, I got Randy a tasting and tour, distillery tour at Dread River Distillery, which is in Birmingham, Alabama in Lakeview. Cool. I had first heard about them because our friends Rusty and Renee treated us to a shot of Dread Hi, River whiskey right before a show that we were all going to because we went to a local restaurant that somehow we missed that they stopped selling alcohol during <laughs> the pandemic. And what? I was like, I am fixing to walk out of this restaurant right now. <laughs> Why? But um, 
Yeah, they used to have beer and wine, but yeah. they, they were like, we haven't had two for two years. And I was just like, what? Oh, okay. yeah. So we're like, well, we can't ever come back here. Was serious. Was <laughs> she was like, I had had a shitty Monday. She was I'd like, had I'm in- serious. Like, I don't know if I can stay. <laughs> I know. I was like, I think I have to leave. But no, we stayed and it was fine and it was nice and everything. And then we went, but we went back to their house and they pulled out this whiskey that they had gotten when they were in Birmingham recently. And they were like, oh, there's this distillery. And it was, I really liked it. And then when we went to the Pride Parade in Birmingham just a few weeks ago, it marched down like through Lakeview and it passed this distillery. So it popped right back up in my head. It's like, oh, my God, that's right. This place, this place that we got yeah, this whiskey cool. from, you know, Father's Day comes. I'm like, this will be a fun thing to do. So we took Courtney, all went, all three of us went down there and mm-hmm. did this distillery tour and it's called Dread River Distillery. So it's the only distillery in Birmingham and it only opened in 2019, I think. So it's not an old place. But the name, though, comes from an old story of a large body of water, a river that flows under Birmingham. Under Birmingham. Under the city. Okay. So this story was published in multiple newsletter, newsletters, newspapers um, in August of 1884. Okay. One of the first ones that published it was the Birmingham Iron Age, which was the Birmingham Daily, I think before the Birmingham uh, News was the Daily. Oh, wow. I'm just going to, it's, it's, it's only a column long. So if I can get my computer to come back to life. We had a cool, are you going to talk about our tour guide that was telling us these our like, tour guide, stories? You can't you oh, yeah. can Billy? tell about him. Billy, he was yeah, really yeah. cool. He was, yeah, he, he threw in kind of the, a little bit, just a tiny bit. So I'm excited he to hear the story of yeah, the he didn't that say there was much. supposedly a, a river under Birmingham and why it would be called Dread River. He talked about that just a little bit too. Underground rivers and streams really fascinate me. We had like an underground stream in the first house that my husband and I ever bought. Oh, really? And it fed because we had this huge oak tree. Like I'm talking like four foot diameter mm-hmm. trunk. It was the biggest thing I've ever seen. And we're like, how does that happen in our shitty little backyard? <laughs> and it's because there was an underground stream that was feeding it and allowed oh. it to be like that large. Wow. Well, this is like a common thing apparently throughout like parts of the South. This mm. underground bodies cave of systems. water thing. Yeah, cave systems. So ah, this is this <laughs> <laughs> this is how this article read. And I'll skip through a little of it, but this is how it starts. So The discovery of the great subterranean river under Birmingham has been the great topic of conversation the past week. Great excitement has prevailed, and so great was the interest taken in it that Drs. Joseph R. Smith, W.S. Brown, William Hood, T.J. Brown, William Burry. Was it really great? List of people. (laughs) I know, right? Um, And other leading citizens held a meeting at which it was decided to telegraph Professor Joseph Mulhattan, the great Kentucky scientist and cave expert. (gasps) The facts in the case and urge him to come at once to give it a thorough thorough exploration. The result was that Professor Mulhattan arrived from Louisville on Friday evening in a party composed of the above named gentlemen spent all day exploring the great subterranean wonder. And then it kind of goes through some details about like the boat that they took. The party proceeded down the river for at least 15 miles before there was any obstruction to prevent them from going forward. It's just underground. Underground ground? Mm-hmm. Okay. It says, uh, the natural tunnel through which the river flows is almost uniform width and say about 300 feet uh, for the distance of the 15 miles navigated and the height is at least 150 feet so that a Whoa. steamship of the largest class could navigate it with ease. What? 
the depth of the stream varies from 45 to 70 feet. Holy shit. It is connected with tidewater. All right, I'm Googling. And this will give Birmingham a wonderful and cheap direct outlet to the sea for the products of its furnaces, its mines, and industries generally. The above is Mr. Mulhotton's first impression of the wonder, which is fully corroborated by all of his party of daring explorers. But this is not all. Professor Mulhotton has this to say of it. The great subterranean river recently discovered under the city of Birmingham is undoubtedly the most remarkable discovery ever made on the American continent. What the fuck? The river is greater in volume than the mighty Mississippi. What? Its vast subterranean bed is undoubtedly (laughs) due to the grinding and cutting of immense icebergs during the glacial period. Are there pterodactyls flying? (laughs) (laughs) Then at a subsequent pre-Adamite period, violent upheavals of the earth toppled over the mountain through which the icebergs continued to cut a natural ship canal to the Gulf of Mexico. A prehistoric race undoubtedly used it for transportation of metals from this section of the sea to where they were transported to various parts of the world. Furnaces on a scale scarcely so magnificent. Uh, I, I don't even understand what he's saying here. It's great. At It's great. Added to this, says Professor Mulhattan, we discovered in niches of the cave numerous articles of bronze, also statuary, numerous Masonic emblems, and mummies with sandals on their feet. No, this is not true. All in a perfect state of preservation. We also discovered the remains of many marine monsters of the old red sandstone period, prominent among them the huge Ichthyosaurus, which Ah. was undoubtedly used by these prehistoric races to drag their ships from what is now Birmingham to the Gulf of Mexico. See, uh, I wasn't wrong. These extinct (laughs) sea monsters were docile and harmless and were harnessed to the ships laden with pig iron, which they pulled to the sea with the greatest of ease. They were more powerful than the most powerful locomotive of the present day. Holes of these ancient ships are scattered throughout the banks of the great subterranean stream. Now they're talking about excitement prevails. Professor Mulhattan has also seen eyeless fish and sea monsters of the shark species, eyeless amphibians of the reptile and alligator tribe, he says down there. And he says a company should be formed at once to get rid of any obstructions, to navigate it. And that the the property belongs to the city. So the government is of paramount importance to Birmingham, Alabama and the entire scientific world and is worthy of the greatest enthusiasm. Obviously. And this was what newspaper in what year? 1881. This was in uh, this was published in multiple newspapers across the South and across the country in August 1884, but most prominently in the the newspaper, the Birmingham Iron Age. Was Birmingham needing some money at the time? (laughs) They should have taken a picture of a giant fake pterodactyl. I know, right? The Iron Age later dubbed it the Mystic River because of all the talk about it. And there were two years later, there was another story on the river that talked about a woman who said that her son and his friend had gone down onto the river and either navigated it or fallen asleep. They had somehow found the lair of some like famous counterfeiting gang or something down there. And then they had ended up waking up when they had reached the Warrior River, which was like miles and miles and miles and miles away. Traveling back roads does not scare me for like the winged beast (coughs) that I could possibly see. It scares me for like the illegal things going on uh, yeah, and right. running across like there's people with like machine guns. And those are much closer threats to you. Much meth closer. Labs. Meth labs. When these, when this story of this woman whose two sons had gone down on the river was published, one of the quotes was from this woman who was the mother of one of them who said, I've lost my boy down the Dread River. Oh, and shit. that's where they got the Dread River distillery name from. Mm. 
well, fucking fantastic name and yeah, lore behind like it's pretty cool. And yeah, and since what you're saying about groundwater, it's because those underground streams and right. and sources of water, those are groundwater. That's what you call them, mm-hmm. I guess. And I didn't I didn't know that that's what that meant, but that's what groundwater is, apparently underground springs and everything. And apparently there are more in Alabama, more miles of underground rivers than in any other state. Wow, that's cool. And so all those natural caves like DeSoto Caverns and I think it was Rickwood. There's there's all these natural massive caverns. A lot of those are due to groundwater. Oh, yeah. It's the Sasquatch Highway. (laughs) And but, you, you know, we went to. What is DeSoto. The DeSoto Cavern. And, you know, they talked about... Which changed its name since then, but go ahead. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What, what are they called now? Something better. It had nothing to do with DeSoto. Okay. It's another name that actually makes more sense, but I can't remember. It might be Wonder. I can't remember what it is. Pick a, is no, it starts with a K. Anyways, go but ahead. They, they were talking about, you know, people doing stills down there mm-hmm. during Prohibition and everything. Those caverns, I mean, they're huge. Yeah. And, and it's just... It's remark. I mean, it is like going into another time. It is and place and world and world it's majestic. Yeah, if you could do that. I mean, majestic caverns. And and that Makes is sense. the distillers, like the homebrew distillers, right. who wanted to just go and and make their own stuff. They would use a lot of these these underground springs for mm-hmm. water for the stills. Right. And they were talking about how people got down there in mm-hmm. order to do it. It was not something I would go through, like crawling on your belly through mm-hmm. like a foot and a half clo- enclosed space. No, thank you. Yeah. Daniel still uses that yeah, spring. They use a spring. That's where every bottle of Jack comes from that spring. And that's a that's that a pretty that's you. a bourbon thing, yeah. too. That's yeah. a very bourbon thing. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that was a fake story. Well, Birmingham, <laughs> yes, exactly. But that was why? a fake story. But, you know, with all this, they're. All these people, it, Birmingham had only been incorporated for 13 years when that oh. story ran in the, the Birmingham Iron Age. And the steel boom had come up and the population of Birmingham grew really fast. So they're oh, building yeah. and they're building and yeah. they're building. And as they're building, they're finding all these problems that have to do with groundwater. Oh. They're finding all these underground streams and underground springs and rivers and sinkholes that are being created by those. Yes. Well, there's a lot of limestone. Lime is one of the yeah yes. the main components under all- there. And one of the issues that came up with the building process in Birmingham came out right, shockingly, right before the story hit the papers. They said it had been noticed that during a hard rain in Birmingham, there was water that was flowing down this open sewer on Fifth Avenue. And it would disappear into the ground at one point in between 21st and 22nd Street. And people had found that there was a sewer opening there, but there was a hole at the bottom of the sewer opening and the water just kept on pouring and pouring and pouring down this hole. So the mayor ordered two men to go down and explore and he tied them with ropes around their waist. Like you're saying, it's hard to get down into places like this. Mm -hmm. They got in this hole, this what was a sewer drainage ditch, but they heard water rushing below and they had nine foot poles that they took with them and they couldn't sound the bottom of the water. Oh, Oh, wow. So it was a cavern underneath. And the city has started to try to deal with this. People have heard about it. It got in the news that there's this sewer cavern underneath 5th and 22nd. They're thinking, okay, well, is this an underground spring? Can we use it for, you know, water source or can we use it for drainage or whatever? This other story suddenly comes out about there being a mystic river underneath Birmingham. All of a sudden, all these people are like crowding to like look into this hole at 5th and 27th because 22nd because they're thinking this is the entrance to the mystic river. Right. They had to like put up 
gates and fences and things. People just kept on showing up. Some clever person also, like after that, that Mystic River article came out, like posted ads in the newspaper saying that they were offering guided boat tours down the Mystic River underneath oh Birmingham. And I people wonder... would travel from other states to go and then they would never find the boats because it, there weren't any. That's got to be took right their money. Like at UAB, right? Like 5th and 22nd. So. That's yeah. where 22nd, 21st, 5th, mm-hmm. 6th. And they did say it was around the hospitals. Right there yeah. in the middle of, okay. It's, oh, it's in wow. downtown. I mean, I there mean, were a lot of underground water sources Street. in downtown yeah. Birmingham. It caused problems during different parts of construction. Mm. Like even the Tutwiler had problems yeah. underneath with the foundations. Lots of stuff like this. Wow. So some people had read the Mystic River story and right away known that it was a lie. But not even because of the content. It was because they saw one of the names that showed up right at the beginning of the story. Oh. Mm. Because Joseph Mulhattan is not a Kentucky scientist and professor. Oh. He was a salesman. Of course he was. For a Kentucky hardware store. And many newspapers had already dubbed him one of many nicknames, the Monarch of Mendacity, the champion newspaper liar of America. (laughs) Munchausen Mulhattan. Munchausen. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or he was the liar laureate of the world. (laughs) Was one of the things that they called him. What's his last name? Mulhattan? Mulhattan. Joseph Mulhattan. How do you spell it? M-U-L-H-A-T-T-A-N or A-N, O-N, okay. depending on who's saying Mulhattan. it. Like Mulholland. Yeah. Mulhattan. And at that point in like around the 1880s, 1890s, it had become a common saying that if you're a tremendous liar, you're like telling tall tales that you are lying like a Mulhattan. Wow. Oh, wow. He really made a name for himself. Yeah. I mean, he really had. As so often happens with fake news, right? Like the the story is repeated by Mm -hmm. sources that most people (laughs) thought were trustworthy and then repeated by others who wanted to capitalize on it. Mm -hmm. And so the more and more people hear it, the more and more truth it sounds like it sounds truthful. Cited themselves. Kind of like that. Yes. Like the link, click exactly. to the link. I mean, I, you were even getting themselves. me there for a minute. Well, until and that's you the thing. The tide water and being like near the, uh, I was the starting gold. to see the ichthyosaurus, and you could you could do now, a steamship down through the to the Gulf of Mexico. How far we are from the Gulf of Mexico yeah. in Birmingham? I'm like to get the mobile. I mean, at I know. least three and a half hours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, it's a, and <laughs> part of the thing is, though, at that beginning, it kind of grabs you because he takes something that's not that far from true. Yeah. But, and then blows a bunch of well, hot air right at that part. Talking about the stuff and the, what they found. Yes, and exactly. And I was like, well, we've gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it but I mean, that's that's what a good lie is made I of. Know. You know, it's like just enough truth to catch you. But, you know, you're you guys, you know, it's like we're listening to it and we get to that point and we're like, oh, for God's sake, just like, couple, absolutely yeah, not just a true. a little bit in. I was like, OK, no, no. But not everybody responds no. that way. As we, especially during that time. Especially hell? during that time. How right. would you know? I, I would have been like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I mean, these folks hear? hadn't driven from here to Gulf of Mexico and known exactly how far it is. You exactly. know, it's like it's not the same. I'm like there's Tidewater. Mm-hmm. The way. This is not me. And then. Then, of course, when you're starting to talk about what they found under there, I was like, it's like we oh, would have had a museum yeah, no. we would have had to visit by now. Yeah, because <laughs> we're being able to look at it in the past, exactly, right? Like, right. We've, we're, you know, however hindsight. many years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so Joe Mulhattan was expert at these, this kind of lie that, yeah. like, caught people at the beginning and really kept people throughout a lot of it. They didn't have Google. They didn't have, they, didn't they have couldn't, Alexa they couldn't check. And the newspapers <laughs> were printing these. They didn't even really have the Encyclopedia Britannica. No, they didn't even have Encyclopedia Britannica. No, Joyce Byers was selling that in the 80s. 
Born <laughs> so he was born outside of Pittsburgh in 1883. No, 53. I wrote that down 18, wrong. 1853. His dad was a Presbyterian minister. We don't need to say anything about that. Um, <laughs> I was really wanting to say something. When, when he but was okay. when he was still in high school was when his first known hoax came out. Mm. And this was he somehow spread the story of like a rash of stagecoaches being held up in his hometown. And it spread quick enough and well enough that reporters from the Pittsburgh Daily Newspapers were like flocking to his town to find this like outlaw gang that was attacking stagecoaches. And they they rode around for like better part of a day before they realized they'd been had. Oh, so they had trouble right here in River City. Right here in River City. <laughs> Capital T. The wrong with P. Uh, uh. <laughs> Is that might come back a little bit too? <laughs> so he was um so Mulhattan he was a he was a good looking guy as you know often snake oil salesmen are right. right. So great he was smile, great smile, clever, good, quick, talked fast, great conversation. Blue hair, blue hair, no blue hair. What blue blue eyes? Uh, oh, I was like, wait, what? Dark hair, blue eyes, dark hair. His Got his it. beard Falling. was well trimmed. He had spiffy clothes. He. So he goes to nice. he goes to work as a traveling salesman, mm -hmm. which is a great, great yeah. line of work for him. Right. And that was also called a drummer, which I didn't know this. A traveling salesman in the 1800s was also called a drummer. And I think a lot of the time it one of the, the stories I found said that it's because they would keep their wares in a big hmm. container that was mostly hollow and they would put oil skin around the outside of it. And then when they came into a town, they would actually beat on it to get people's attention oh, so that okay. they would know. And especially in the South, when you don't want to walk up to people's property and doors without them kind of knowing who you are coming. Didn't want to face granny. You don't shotgun. want to face the, the, the shotgun. <laughs> so he would beat on it. They would beat on it on their way down the road so that, that people so would recognize that they would know they were I've coming. I've never heard that before. Yeah. And people started talking about like the music man and stuff with all oh, this. Yes. You know, he's a drummer for a Pittsburgh hardware company. And then he gets a job with a different hardware company in Louisville, Kentucky as their drummer. So in this job, he travels all across the South and out to even to Texas and Mexico eventually, but across the Southeast. And he's great at his job. Other salesmen said that it was useless to go through any territory after Joe Mulhattan had been there because he'd taken all the sales already. While he traveled, though, he'd just gotten into the habit of sending these ridiculous stories to local newspapers. And nobody seems to know what his motivation was. He didn't make any money. He didn't sell them. I mean, sometimes they would pay him for them, but it wasn't his way of making money. I, it what was, was almost selling? a hardware. Hard they, they just said a hardware store. Hardware. So I imagine like, just you know, what you'd find at Ace Hardware or something. Brews and nails and So I was like, he, he could have been branches. like a compulsive liar. He could have just been bored and clever. You know, and he may have gotten a kick out of just the fact that he could do it. Right. Because they kept on taking the stories. Yeah. yeah. There was an article in Hillsborough, Ohio News Herald in 1886 that talked about a conversation somebody had had with Joe. And they called him a versatile and adventurous liar. They said he was sunny and energetic. And they said he only wrote lies, but he never told one. That they, quote, no man's statements are more reliable. No man's conduct is more upright. And no man's conversation is cleaner or purer. Then Joe Mulhat. He called himself tenderhearted as any woman. This this may have actually been written by I, as I read this interview with Joe Mulhatton, I was like, I really seriously wonder if he wrote this himself. His stories are catchy. Mm -hmm. I mean, like they're they're probably they're not like the height of literary talent or anything like that, but they're well put together. And he apparently would just get home from work and just dash one off in like 30 minutes and put it in the mail. 
You know, I mean, he, he didn't a put a lot of work creator. into him. Yeah, he was exactly he was ahead of his time. He would have been a great YouTuber. And it's funny because the newspaper world at this time wasn't much more like verified and validated than like YouTube. Oh, I'm sure. You know, I mean, I mean so all that, you have to do is read like actual in the newspaper. I know the, back in the day, the language oh that was used, uh, you know. So most recently I thought of the Bobby Dunbar case because there was right. so much of the newspapers playing the different sides of that against each other for yes. press, for mm-hmm. like notice and sales. And has that really changed? No. Right. And th- but there was there was not really a. You know, newspapers weren't like the bastion of investigative journalism at this time. You know, it was Mm -hmm. not fair and balanced. It was what makes the money and what sells. You know, what headlines can we get? It exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But the ones that published Joe's articles, they didn't fact check anything, of course. And they're not much different. They're not morons. Because it's a fantastic tale. Oh, yeah. It's, It's highly imaginative, whether I believe them or not. I mean, that's the same reason I looked at the National Enquirer. Yeah. Because I'm like, holy shit, Elvis is living I with Bigfoot down in Nevada. It's like, entertainment. Yeah, it's entertainment. It's entertainment, right? Right. So, and and like the folks who were doing these newspapers, they most of them knew that it was fake. Even if they if they hadn't seen his name, you know, they would have known that it was fake. But he he had a pseudonym that he used that he put things in under Orange Blossom for a while. They knew if Joe Mulhattan's name shows up anywhere near it, they knew. That it was fake. Orange Blossom. I know. That was his pseudonym. That is a YouTuber name. Is it really? No. I'm saying that's a perfect pseudonym. Oh, I was like, like, oh my God, who's Orange Blossom? I I want to follow them. Oh, really? What do they do? (laughs) See, we're the people he was going for. (laughs) But so they knew. But he called it novelistic journalism was what he said. He That that article in the um, News Herald in Hillsborough in 1886, he said he was doing for journalism what Jules Verne did for the world of romantic literature. And that he said, nobody is hurt by my little novels. He said, nobody's morals are corrupted and all are entertained and sometimes instructed. So in his heyday, his stories made a big impact. And if they didn't hurt anybody, they irritated a lot of people. I'm sure like like all the scientific people and professors were like, shut the fuck up. I know. Again, Joe. Again. Like, just stop it. Because he was kind of fascinated with scientific discovery, and so a lot of his stories did go along the realm of, like, geological discovery or biology, you know. And of course, because he was so, like, fantastical, people would believe him, Mm -hmm. because, like, it's like all the lights and glamour and Oh, yeah. It's so easy to read. It's a page turner. It's a page. Yeah. So interesting. He's like, he's he's like the Michael Crichton of 1888. But like, um, (laughs) that's perfect. But um, and I'm going to go ahead and give these references before I go any further. But uh, the information that I got for this was all from AL.com. Birmingham Wiki had a a entry on Underground River, DreadRiver.com, which I'll share with you guys. Hoaxes.org has an archive that is specifically dedicated to Joe Mulhattan. Historical Blindness and Odd Past Podcast are two that I'm going to start following. So if you're interested in these weird history things that we don't know about all the time, oh, absolutely, those two would be the really best. cool. And my favorite one was uh, the Kook Science website, which also has an entire wiki de- dedicated just to the newspaper articles that reference Joe Mulhattan. And yeah. that is where all of these came from. So this is just a few of the samples of things that Joe managed mm. to get into the national news. From 1875 to 1877, he was weirdly obsessed with George Washington. 
Like the National Centennial celebration was coming up and he was born outside Pittsburgh. So this was going to happen in Philadelphia. And he started this weird like letters to the editor campaign where he said that he and a couple other people were planning to go to Mount Vernon to exhume the bones of George Washington and bring them to Philadelphia for display during the centennial celebration. Oh, my God. And one of the stories that he did to follow up with some of because and he would do these as letters to the editor and then they would get all this like pushback. Because people are just irate that he's oh, talking about I sacrilege. Bet. I was just like comment section. Oh my God, he's loving it, right? Off the rail. And then, you know, one of the things he claimed in this vein of article was that um, he had seen or no, he had talked to a man who had worked on Mount Vernon since he was a child. And the man verified that they had seen the sepulcher of Washington opened and he had been petrified into a perfect stone statue inside the sarcophagus. And that he was like, 500 pounds heavier than his wife's sepulcher, <laughs> you know, or, or sarcophagus. Um, he also said he had he had discovered the 103 year old son of George Washington still living in Washington, Pennsylvania. What? He said he wrote articles about other caves that him had discovered in Kentucky with this, one of which had 23 miles of underground roads. Kentucky caves? Well, Mammoth Cave, he said this actually this actually dwarfs Mammoth Cave by so oh. much. These also had mummies and Masonic hieroglyphs. One of them had a pyramid inside it. He talked about a volcano that had randomly popped out of the ground in a Kentucky uh, farmer's field one day who just like couldn't figure out what was happening until he held like a a corn cob over it and the cob burned. Well, I was going to say that it's like popcorn. I know, right? The great popcorning of uh, 18... 18- 95. There was my my computer's trying to die or I would look this one up real mm. quick. But there was a story about like a, a, a train full of cats that there was like somebody <gasps> who was trying to make a new inroad into a new fur market. And he was requesting <gasps> people to bring cats to this train so that he could take the tra- the cats what? away. And apparently all of these farmers came to this train station oh, with truckloads oh. of stray cats. <laughs> But then there was nobody there to take them. Didn't they know that's how you get to heaven? <laughs> oh, yeah. I learned that in our last episode. Right. There was uh, he told the story of a meteor that had fallen on a ranch in Texas, killing people and cattle. And after the meteor hit the ground, even though most of it was buried, it was still the visible part was still 70 feet above the ground and an acre wide. Oh, which would have exploded the the entire planet. <laughs> what would it? feel like or be like to be a person of this time that just knew that people would believe whatever bullshit came out of your mouth i imagine it would make you feel very powerful like Mm -hmm. it just like everything that you just imagine Mm -hmm. that people are like they show up with a caravan full of cats Absolutely. Yeah, man. Like it is power. That Courtney's is like, gonna cry. I'm just thinking about how fluffy Cece is. <laughs> <laughs> like, after that bite, she would make like that a nice I know, right? <laughs> well, and there were I so many more. Her. You would become a stole. <laughs> you would have become a stole. <laughs> You'll be biting your own tail around my neck. There is. He told the story of a Kentucky farmer named J.B. Parks, whose brother sent him seven South African monkeys that he trained to pick hemp in his fields. 
And after that, the Richmond Register had to print a plea for people to stop sending letters to J.B. Parks, who was actually a real farmer, but who had <sighs> never had monkeys and wanted people to stop bothering him. Oh. <laughs> there was a Patrick Cunningham story. This man who, when bitten by a snake, had something in his blood that turned the venom backwards and killed the snake instead of him. <laughs> so he would hire himself out to go to all these farms and homesteads across the country to kill like 8,000 snakes in a day by letting them bite him. Oh. There was a Wisconsin lake monster. What an imagination. There was a, there was a, he told the story of Professor Birdwhistle who discovered a second invisible moon in the Earth's orbit. There was, a, there was a battle that he had seen between Martians and the inhabitants of unnamed planets that he had told the story of. And he convinced, he was convinced that H.G. Wells pulled his stories from Mulhattan's stories. Oh my God. And then there was a, there was a he had. Oh, he talked about a guy who had discovered a species of carnivorous man eating devil tree in Mexico. And then this one. Why cra- didn't he just write? I don't know. Novels. I think. Well, because like it seemed like he could just do this on his own terms. And it was kind of fun and just like flaky. And he when could just pe- like what would happen if it. and people were buying it. But he didn't make any money off of it. <sighs> then well, he, I mean, that. The fact that he's not making any money off of it, it's great. Yeah, yeah it is. I'm glad that he, he did not do that. But yeah, I'm like, like he could have. He could it sounds have. like he probably could have. Like the but science just fiction like, just, of the 80s. It's why he didn't just write fiction. Right. But but again, it's the it's the time. It's yeah. like if you were going to put stuff out like this, there's really no avenue for like sci-fi yeah at, during this time oh absolutely not so yeah it was the perfect you know media to express his obvious like overabundance of creativity and it's it's weird because too you know and there was another story about like he told a story of finding like a magnetic cactus that draws birds to it and then impales them on its spike it was like oh, hilarious that the, the reference he had of like he had to have two people tie a rope around his stomach so that he could get close enough to examine it so that it wouldn't pull him in <laughs> But like he, you know, he never he never married. He never tried to get married. And I get the impression that maybe he wasn't somebody who would have wanted to sit down and work at a writing career. He just this was just a thing he could do, you know, like to entertain himself. How did he support himself? He stayed a salesman. And like I said, he was a really good salesman for a long time. Yeah. But then things went south. And it was kind of in the 1890s, things started going down till he started drinking at some point. He started, he lost that job with the Kentucky Hardware Company. He moved to one in Texas. He moved back to Kentucky and then he, he would kind of bounce around. He, he drove a truck for a sewing machine company at one point. And he I would said imagine he's probably pretty annoying to be around all the time. Yeah, I would think so, too. And he, he said at one point that he was in New Orleans and he fell off a streetcar and hit his head on the street. And he was convinced <laughs> that he was crazy after that. And he was committed to a Chicago asylum for a oh. while and then released. But then shortly after that, he got arrested for theft. And for the rest of his life, it was like really hard. It was different stories of him getting arrested here or there. You know, every once in a while, reporters would still seek him out and like ask about him and the stories that he had told. And, you know, at one point he faked his own death. You know, he said Mm -hmm. that he wasn't around anymore. And then he just appeared in Kelvin, Arizona, mining for gold or or bronze or copper or something. He had like a mining plot in Arizona. And two meals. But that was true. He actually did have a mining plot. But then he started releasing to the newspapers all these stories about all the millions he was making off of it, which was Mm. not true. He would like, you know, times five the size of his plot every time he talked to somebody about it and you know so it was all lies they 
He ended up in a court in San Francisco on a theft charge one time for stealing somebody's coat. And the there was a drawing that was done in the newspaper because he was a figure. You know, everybody knew his name. And there was a drawing in the newspaper of there was a drawing of what he looked like when he was young and then his current self standing next to it. And it was like this dapper guy with a top hat and black suit and everything. He was young and skinny and tall. And then next to him, this dude that looked pretty much like a hobo, like mm. wearing a striped suit and I'm a big sure. old pot belly. And he hadn't shaved in days and he looked like he stunk. And, yeah. so, you know, I mean, that well, was I mean, kind with, of the route with, he took. With just that high level of creativity, a lot of times there is mental There illness. is mental illness with it a lot it of follows, the time. Yeah. He, like I said, he moved to Arizona, claimed to be working on this mine, I think for like 10 years. He had a sister who, who claimed to be a sister anyways, who lived nearby and who talked to the newspapers on his, his behalf sometimes. And then in December of 1913, she reported to the news that he had drowned in the Gila River in Arizona. Oh, that his, she said that his body had been recovered and that they had buried it. Is this the fake death? No, no. this is the last reference to him in the oh. newspapers. So it may very well have been true. So do you think he killed But nobody knows. Or, yeah. Nobody knows what happened to him because mm. they wouldn't believe it even if they were told. True. Because he was Mulhattan. So. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. But that is the story of the King of Liars who wow. was. Who created the, source the Dread River story. The Dread River. Yeah. He created it. Yeah. That, wow. That was a cool. I, I was that, like, oh, my God, all the shit this guy did is like it's never ending. And if. Amazing. Go to that kook science website. I'll put it on the show page. And also the, uh, oh, what was it? The historical oddities, the historical blindness has historical a blog post blindness. that covers a lot more detail than I covered here. And even more stories, stuff about the fact that like, I didn't even realize Edgar Allan Poe was like down in his luck one time and wrote a fake story for the newspapers and sold it about like a, a guy who had, who had ridden in a balloon all the way across the, the ocean. And, you know, got money for it. But he, he basically, it was a thing people did. Like, he sold right. a fake story to the newspapers. Right. right. Well, I mean, fuck, if you read any of the old news stories, you're like, yeah, this didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's totally, they were going for the sensationalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the only way that they could, like, get out the word, like, globally, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, but, yeah, he was, wow. It's weird because by the time it was over, I was like, I really felt for the guy. And part of me, well, actually, I'll I'll talk a little bit. I don't have much else to talk about in the after show. So I'll talk a little bit more about my impressions of him in the after show. But yeah, he was fantastic story. Thank you. You too. Fun episode. The Dread River origin story. That's Mm -hmm. cool. Oh, and I do have to. I'm going to give a shout out because uh, Courtney used Dread River vodka in these drinks that we made today. It was good. So good. So yes, I really liked. Pay. All the things we we give tried. us the call, Dread River. Yeah, we'll really, be reaching really... out because they have a super cool space for events, and we might look oh, yeah. at it. I would highly suggest anyone who can go go and sit down and have an appetizer too, and have one of their cocktails. Truffle fries they have are some really really good. great cocktails, so amazing, and mm-hmm. some really cool merch of with their logos and really nice it. people. Yeah. By the and way, everybody so, there was super yeah. cool. It looks kind of fancy when you come in, and you kind of feel like because someone was having a wedding, so we were uh, like, oh, are we underdressed for this? But like all the bartenders and they were nice hostesses and tour people were, you know, they're like, yeah, we have fancy stuff here, but we're, you know, but yeah. we're normal. Well, not just normal, but you know, <laughs> I didn't feel off. You could be dressed up in a gown or wear your jeans or whatever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It was really cool. It was cool. I, I really liked it. Yeah. We'll fun. go. 
Awesome. Thank all you right. all. Thanks. Bye. 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 They are so small. S-M-O-L. Small. My kitten is so small. <laughs>